want to turn in your, in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're continuing our study through Luke's gospel. And as the kids head out, just let me just make one additional announcement. We put it in the forum of this past week, which is our weekly uh, newsletter about a, a change in our Constitution. And really, the, the change is just really more of a clarification. Our, our current doctrine says that we uphold Southern Baptist doctrine. Uh, so you saw that the sentence that we want to add would that we affirm, uh, Park Baptist Church affirms the Baptist faith and message 2000, which is... The, uh, the, the doctrine of the Southern Baptist Church. So this is more for clarification. I'll speak more of that on Wednesday night, this coming week. Um, and then there's also just an amendment um, about our wedding policy that we would want people when they marry, get married in this church to affirm um, the, the, those, that, that statement of faith. Basically saying, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Um, if you have any questions on that, feel free to see me and I'll make sure we mention that again on Wednesday night. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to read God's Word, uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to focus on verses 38. Uh, through 42, uh, I'll pray, and then we'll dig into the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? To serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Holy God, we bow now before your presence. We acknowledge your greatness your power, your love for your people, your holiness. And God, when we enter into your presence, we are aware of our sinfulness. So God, first and foremost, we ask you to forgive our sin. God, this past week, we have been distracted. We have been anxious and troubled. We have not chosen the good portion. So God, we ask now that you who are faithful, and just would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we we pray um, for your gospel uh, to be made known in our city. We pray for the Southern Baptist churches, God. We pray for the the meeting tonight, God, that it'll be a time of sweet fellowship, a time of praise to your name, God, of hearing what you are doing uh, through these collection of churches. God, we, we, we pray specifically this morning for Reggie Hopkins at Calvary Baptist Church. God, as he preaches the word this morning, we pray that you fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that when he preaches, that power would come from the pulpit. God, not power that is in him, but power that is in the Holy Spirit of God. Change the people of Calvary to be more a reflection of your character and glory. God, we do pray for our world. God, we pray um, for South Africa this morning. God, we pray that you continue to have churches there who believe in the power of the gospel of Christ. They would not be ashamed, but that they would proclaim it. So God, continue the movement that you are doing there. God, bless the churches there who are holding fast to your gospel. And God, we we ask now for our own hearts as we open your word, God. Uh, Father, we, we do need you. 
God. We can easily be distracted and we can easily be anxious and troubled. But God, we want to hear a word from you. God, we want you to speak directly to our hearts, God. So God, I pray that I now may decrease, that you may increase. God, I pray that as I, I announce the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would be preaching along, um, along through me, God, through me, God, that you would speak to the hearts of your people. God, you love these people far more than I could ever possibly love them. But God, I, I, I love them. God, I love the people that you have brought here today. So God, I pray that you would speak in power through your servant. Make your name glorious and mighty this morning. Uh, we ask this humbly through our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a love-hate relationship with my cell phone. Uh, It always amazes me how a a device that small of the things it can do. This device is my GPS navigation tool. I no longer need map in my car because I have a phone that tells me exactly where I am and where I need to go. I can send an email, a text message, a tweet, a Facebook post, that can reach all the way to Africa from the comfort of my couch in my living room. I, I, I no longer need to know if the donuts are hot and ready at Krispy Kreme because there's an app for that. I can find out the score of every sporting event in a matter of seconds, which we don't want to talk about this morning. Uh, I do indeed love my cell phone. And you know what? I can even make phone calls with it. But I also hate my cell phone. I hate my cell phone because I feel that I can often be addicted to my phone. Every time my phone buzzes or beeps, uh, I have to find out who it is at that particular moment wants to get in touch with me, whether it's an email, a, a Facebook post, or a text message. You know, I usually uh, only find that, you know, some company, you know, sent, has sent me an email about a sale I didn't really want to know about, uh, about a product I really didn't know I needed. I hate my cell phone because it distracts me uh, from paying attention to my wife and children. I find myself occasionally sitting at dinner with my family or in the living room, uh, and I find myself constantly checking my phone. Instead of looking at my wife and my children and paying attention to them, I'm more concerned with something else. And even if my phone is in the other room and I'm sitting at dinner time and I hear it go off, I may restrain myself and sit at the table. But you know what I'm thinking the whole entire time? Who texted me? I wonder who it is. I wonder what they need. You know, I mean, there's the thing that your mind is now disfocused, autofocused. Uh, There's even times when I, I imagine, I'm not sure if you have this, philosophy or this experience, I imagine my cell phone ring or beep when it doesn't, right? You just check it and you're like, okay, I thought I heard my cell phone, excuse me. Um, uh, My soul has become incredibly cluttered because of my lack of discipline and self-control with my phone. So you can see I have a love and hate relationship with my cell phone. For all the blessings of technology, it has created a culture in our world of anxious and stressed individuals. Even in the Herald this past week, there was a, uh, an article regarding this over-anxious culture. 
uh, psychologist Francine Totter refers to the, this anxiety on the, as on the always-on syndrome. She sees patients all the time who are already overwhelmed by life, and now their problems become much more complicated by all these new devices and nonstop data coming at them. Beloved, we must protect our souls. Now, there's obvious things we need to protect our souls from. But today, I want to exhort you to guard your soul from two things I see directly here in the text. And then we're going to look at one thing of why we want to guard our souls and what we want to guard our souls for. Uh, So if you want to follow along in the outline provided for you, just flip to the back of your bulletin. I'm going to make three uh, exhortations this morning. First, we must guard our souls from distractions. Guard our soul from distractions. Look with me again at our morning's text in verse 38. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, before we move on, we have to remember the context of the chapter. Remember this, Jesus just sent out the 72, and he told them to go and look for a person of peace in towns and villages. So you look in Luke chapter 10, verse 5. It says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Then in verse 7 of chapter 10, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So Martha welcomed Jesus into her own home. She was a person of peace who graciously opened her home to Jesus and his disciples. Now, in opening her home, we see here that she had the responsibility to provide food for Jesus and 12 hungry men. Now, it's easy when we read this text to give Martha a hard time, uh, but we can't lose sight of how gracious and how hospitable uh, she was to bring these men into her home. I used to teach high school in Washington, D.C., and the reason why I wanted to teach was because I wanted to share the gospel uh, with, with, with kids. And that's why I started teaching, and I developed a relationship with a group of kids, and very soon I started having a Bible study at my house, and we'd go over the Bible, I'd cook them dinner, you know, and I'd have to feed these seven or eight teenage boys. Well, then I got married, praise God. They were, they were happy that they saw the upgrade in the quality of food that was prepared when we'd have them over to our house. Um, and we, we, it got to, to be about 10 kids would come over every single Friday night. And can I just tell you, it takes a lot of work to feed 10 hungry teenagers. Now, some of them were even bigger than me, and I think I'm a pretty, you know, big, strong man, you know, fit. Should I go on? <laughs> well, these guys were like 280 pounds, 310 pounds. These guys were big guys, and I gave my wife the task of feeding these men. It was indeed a very difficult task. Well, you know those who have, uh, who have guests in their home a good bit, it's not just the cooking. It's the cleaning up before and the cleaning up after, okay? So we have to understand the context here. Martha just welcomed these 12 hungry men into her home that she now has to feed and clean up after. So I think it's very easy to kind of lose sight of that in the context what we're looking at. But I do believe that she was a a person of peace, and she wanted to show love and grace to Jesus. 
That's why she welcomed him into her home. We pick up the story in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Luke says that Martha was distracted with much serving. And as we just mentioned, Martha did have a lot to do. She had to uh, cook and clean. Of course, we, we read this and say, of course she's distracted. Look at how much she has on her plate. Now, the word for serving here is the same uh, Greek word that we get the word deacon from, diakonian, right? It's where we get our, the word deacon ministry, the ministry of service. Now, we, we can't pull from the text that serving is a bad thing because countless places throughout the New Testament, serving is a really good thing. The issue in this passage is not serving. It is the heart of our service to God. Mary was distracted from the the true reason of why she should have been serving. She was so focused on what needed to be done that she forgot who she was serving and why she was serving. Quite simply, she was distracted. She was preoccupied and troubled. She was serving, but her heart was not focused on the Lord. I believe she was more more concerned with herself than she was with God. Look at the second half of verse 40. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You You hear that? She forgot why she was serving and who she was serving. She lost sight of the privileged place in which she stood, that she had the privilege of serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And she got distracted, and then she said, What about me? She switched from the, the, the um, I got to serve to I had to serve. I, I think that the attitude from have to to get to is a huge divide and yet can be crossed in a millisecond. Martha went from welcoming Jesus into her home to questioning the Lord's love for her. Have you ever been there? Have you ever started out with joy in serving only to find your joy turn into bitterness? I mean, notice how Martha's bitterness, who's it directed towards? Her bitterness is directed towards Jesus. The very person she wanted to welcome and honor with her service, she turned bitter towards. So her own bitterness affected her vertical relationship with God. But it didn't stop there. It affected her relationships horizontally with her own family, her sister. Martha was serving and Mary was sitting. I mean, can you hear the disgust in her tone? How incensed she was at her own sister. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She's mad at her sister. I'm sure you've had moments in your life when you've been incensed with somebody else. But do you see how dangerous serving the Lord with the wrong heart can be? It's not, God doesn't want just your service. He wants your heart. Because serving with the wrong heart affects your relationship with God 
and your relationship with God's people, those who are your closest family and friends. So we must be on guard because it is subtle and it's dangerous and it shows itself in many ways. So, beloved, you must be on guard, you who tithe regularly against your bitterness against those who may not tithe as much as you. It is a privilege to give your money to God. Be on guard, you who serve in an active role in the ministry of this church, against your bitterness towards those who are less active. It is a privilege to serve God and His church. Be on guard, you who serve God in any way, against your bitterness against those who do not serve God like you. Guard your soul from distractions. The second thing we see here in the text is we need to guard our souls from demands. Guard your soul from demands. There are many demands in our age. For there are many demands in every age. You ever hear groups of people generationally? Let me tell you how hard it was back in my day. Let me tell you how hard, well, it's hard in every age, right? Distractions and demands are are there all the time. And one of the reasons why our souls can become distracted and then embittered is simply because we are just too busy. There, I said it, right? We are just too busy. Look what it says in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? See that word much there? Then you go down to verse uh, 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You see how, how Luke is trying to drive that point home? Many of your souls here today are distracted, anxious, and troubled because you are just doing too many things. Can you relate to Martha? Have you ever felt overwhelmed and anxious with everything you have on your plate? I can raise my hand here. I've been there. Have you ever felt too busy? But have you ever asked yourself why? Are you too busy? Pastor Kevin DeYoung recently finished a book called Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. He writes in his book that he believes that one of the reasons people are crazy busy is because they demand more of themselves than God does. See, we expect more out of ourselves than God expects of us. See, the good news of Jesus Christ says that the demands that God had for us have already been completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we could not fulfill God's demands for us. We could not, as we talked about last week, love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We needed somebody else to do it for us. But the good news of the gospel is that that's exactly what God did. He knew you couldn't meet his demands, so he met them for you. But we don't trust him. We don't trust the simple message of the gospel. We try to earn it. Earn God's approval. Friend, if you are here today and you are not a follower of of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I just tell you something? That Christianity is not a list of demands. 
that we must do in order to please God. It's actually the exact opposite. It's it's the list of demands that have already been met in Christ. (laughs) We no longer have to work at a frantic pace to be accepted. All we are, are called to do is to simply trust and believe in Jesus Christ and his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's it. That is what God demands of you. The only way we are accepted by God is through Jesus Christ, through believing in his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the grave. Friend, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, have you ever considered this good news? Consider how God has met all the righteous demands of the law in Jesus Christ. He has done this for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Him. God does not give a list of demands. Hear me. God does not give a list of demands. God gives Himself. What a great God. And yet, we often revert back, right back to our old ways, don't we? We try to win God's approval for us. We think the more we do, the healthier we are spiritually. Pastor John Orpborg writes a story. He says, not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace of my life and my current ministry. The church where I serve tends to move at a fast clip. I also told him about the rhythms of family life. We are in the van driving to the soccer league, piano lessons, school orientation night years. I told him about the present condition of my heart as best I could discern it. I said, what do I need to do, I asked him, to be spiritually healthy? His friend on the other line had a long pause. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Long pause. Okay, okay. I've written that one down. I'm feeling a little impatient. That, that's a good one. Now, what else do I need to do here? I had, I had many things to do in a long-distance call. I was so anxious to cram in so many spiritual units of wisdom and in the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on the following prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys souls. I think he's right. I've seen that in my own life, right? When I try to do and work and do all this kind of stuff and I'm in a hurry, what happens to my own soul? It starts to be slowly chipped away. So what makes us hurried and busy? Analyze your schedule by, by the killer peas. How much of your schedule grows out of the root of pride? Let me just give you a few of the peas. People-pleasing. Do you say yes to certain activities in an effort to please others around you? How much does the opinion of others affect your life and your activities? Beloved, guard your soul from the demands of pleasing people. Or maybe proving yourself. Do you keep a certain pace of life to prove to yourself, to family and friends? 
And can I just be honest? There's certain times in, in my life and this church that I live to prove you, to prove myself to you that I'm a good pastor. That's not good, beloved, is it? My job should be to live for the glory of God, to please Him and to please Him alone. And I can't do that if I'm running at a pace that's too fast for my own soul. How much of your activity is driven to prove yourself to that one person who seems to be constantly disapproving of your life? Beloved, guard your souls from the demands of proving yourself. Or how about possessions? How, how much of your life is driven by the accumulation of more stuff? A bigger house, a nicer car, etc. Beloved, guard your soul from the demands of possessions. There are more P's to consider, poor planning, perfectionism, but I think that's a good place to start. I think what we first need to do is we need to look at our own souls and ask ourselves, why are we so busy? The third thing The reason why we want to do this is that we want to guard our souls for delight. Guard our souls for delight. See, the reason why we have to guard our schedules, guard our our schedules from distractions and demands, is that we want to be ultimately happy. (laughs) You know, it's amazing to me how smart and wise God is and how many times I just disregard His wisdom. He's kind of written in the scriptures in terms of how we are called to live. And when we follow him, when we trust and obey, we will be happy in Jesus. There is no other way but to trust and obey. Verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. And then in verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So while, Mar- while Martha went from welcoming the Lord to questioning the Lord, Mary chose the good portion. There are many things that are good in this life. But do you hear what Jesus said? One thing is necessary. Jesus Christ and his word, they are the only thing that is essential for life. If you want to have true delight, true happiness, that can never be taken from you, you must choose the good portion. This is what David says in Psalm 16 that Robert read. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do not miss this. The reason God is called the good portion. Look at verse 42. It says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. God is the only thing that can never be taken from you. Money won't last. Reputations won't last. Your body won't last. This earth won't last. But you know what will last? Your souls. Your souls will last forever. They'll be eternally blessed or eternally condemned. The only way your soul will find true delight 
is if you find that which can never be taken from you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that God dwells in you with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And the the Holy Spirit is a deposit, right? It's a deposit given to us, guaranteeing us that we will see Him in glory one day. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take Christ away from you. Mary chose the good portion. She chose to sit at the Lord's feet. And listen to his teaching. Now in that day, women were not allowed to sit at a rabbi's feet. The, the, the wording of the text, the, the word in the, in the Greek used there is, is the initiative that Mary took to sit at Jesus' feet. She's breaking social norms. She's going against the culture to sit at the Lord's feet. Now she understands what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. And he might make you know the man, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, what we see here in the text is just an object lesson for the Christian disciple. You are called to reorder your priorities differently than everybody else in this world. You are called to make God and his word primary in your life. This is what Psalm 119 and verse 57 says, the great psalm about God's word. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat you with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Then he says this, which I think we need to hear this morning. When I think of my ways, when I reflect on my schedule and my life, I turn my feet to your testimonies. When we think about our life, what we must do is turn our lives to the Lord. We must guard our time with the Word of God. So let me just make three applications before I close. Three applications before I close. First, you must order your life to ensure that you have time in God's Word. You must sit and meditate on the word of the Lord by yourself. You must cultivate a relationship with God on your own. Now, even days when I am crazy busy, you know what I always make time to do? Eat. Right? I always make time to eat. Three meals a day. Right? I love me some food. But what, is, what I just read, man does not live on bread alone. Food that I eat will not fully satisfy me. God wants you to feed on the word that will truly satisfy. So I would say this. If you don't have time um, for God's word in the morning, skip lunch. Read during a meal. Make God's word a priority. And here's just a simple thing. If you're not regularly spending time in God's word every day, something has to go. Something has to go in your schedule. Now, this is a hard one for me to preach because sometimes I don't want to let things go in my own schedule. But I have, but I do. my wife sometimes just looks at me and just goes, Dave, Dave. And I know that I got I to change. So this, this is not a message that I'm just preaching to you. This one hit me hard. 
I told my wife when I was preparing, I read the, the text on Thursday and starting preparation, and I, text, I texted my wife and said, Ellen, I am already convicted just by reading the text, <laughs> right? My heart was gripped by the conviction of the Spirit. Um, so first, make time for God's Word yourself. Secondly, you should not only feed, you should, you should not feed on the Word alone, um, but you should also feed with others. I think one of the reasons why God sets us in family structures so that we can spend time in regular family devotions. Uh, we've tried to make it a point in our house where every night we are going over God's Word together, reading and praying and singing. Now, you know when that doesn't happen? When I'm crazy busy. You know why? I'm tired. <laughs> I want to go to sleep. Or we get our kids home late. We don't prioritize the Word of God. And when I'm reading this, as much as I love people and I love events, you know what I've, I've seen? Is that I'm sending my kids a message that God's Word is not as important as those other things. Let that not be true of your household. This should not be. Well, lastly, um, we should feed on the Word with the church of the living God. One thing that is primary for every Christian church is the regular preaching and hearing of God's Word. See, God commands pastors to preach the Word of God to the people of God, to the glory of God. That is what we are called to do. Now, there are many good things that I can do as a pastor, but there is one thing that is necessary, the preaching of the Word of God. Because this is what you need. You need the Word of God. So as long as I am your pastor, I will preach God's Word to you. Because God says this is the good portion. You need God's Word. So beloved, there are a lot of great things we can do as a church. But when you talk about this church, here's what I want you to say. They preach the Word of God. They love the Word of God. They sing the Word of God. They pray the Word of God. Our church has chosen the good portion. I told you before, and I'll say it again, do not tell people you have a great preacher. You tell them that we preach about a great God. That's why we preach the Word, because it tells us who God is. We want Jesus Christ to be magnified and glorified in this church, and that's why we preach the Word. Now, preaching the Word will bring people in, but it's not going to bring um, people fast. People, if we want to bring people fast, well, there's a lot of other things we can do. We can spend a lot of money on advertising. We can, we could blow up the choir loft and bring in some fog machines, right? That'd be pretty fire, right? What if I spoke, every time I spoke, fire was coming up behind me, right? That would be pretty cool. But that's not necessary. There is one thing that is necessary, and that is the Word of God that God has given us. Guard your soul for delight by guarding your souls to hear and obey God's word. This is why, as a pastor, I want you to be in church. I want you to, to hear the word of God. Why? Because God says you need it. God says I need it. Because there's one thing that is necessary. So, beloved, Martha indeed was a gracious and hospitable woman. But she came distracted with much serving so that she was anxious and her soul was troubled. 
Mary chose the good portion, delighting in the words of our Lord. So let me just ask a simple question to close. Are you distracted? Or have you chosen the good portion? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for um, giving us the one thing that is necessary, Jesus Christ and his word. God, we pray as a church that we would be free, that we would guard our souls from distractions and anxiety and trouble over many things, but that we would listen and heed that which is necessary, you and your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.